Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. Our guest for this episode is Paul Hart, the Artistic Director of the Watermill Theatre in Newbury. It's a small 220-seat theatre in the middle of nowhere in a converted watermill, and it holds a renowned reputation in the British theatre scene. I'm chatting to Paul about the theatre and what it takes to be an Artistic Director. Enjoy. Paul, hi. Hi, Meg. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, not too, not too bad. Nice to meet you. Likewise, likewise. I've uh, watched from afar many, <laughs> which sounds really creepy. But um, <laughs> no, go on, remind me, remind me of your connection. Were you local to here? Yeah, always, always kind of gone to the watermill and trying to be worked there for years. Actually, I applied for many a job. <laughs> oh, cool. Including yours, which I wasn't at all qualified for. But uh, hey, I thought I was going to go for it anyway. <laughs> Why not, eh? But hey, I'm glad it went to someone who was qualified. I'm not sure that's true. But thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of it. Absolute pleasure. Our whole thing is really about passing on your experiences and your journeys so that the next generation can hear it and, and not necessarily have to fight so hard to, to learn the lessons that the previous generation did and just open open those doors that might necessarily not be open if people don't have the connections. Should we start? So you're the artistic director of the Watermill Theatre in Newbury. How would you describe the theatre? Well, the name of this podcast is very suitable because it's a mad, <laughs> it's a mad old place, and it's uh, well, old being the sort of operative mm-hmm. word. Really, it's been around for a long, long time. It's still. You know, like all of my favourite theatres, I think it's a, it's a found space rather than a space that was built to be Definitely. a theatre. I mean, it's full of character, isn't it? Definitely full of character and it's uh, very individual mm-hmm. and atmospheric. And as you walk into the space, you walk past, you know, the, the, the original water wheel and there's a river running under the, the building. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's been obviously converted to a certain degree but that in itself was a sort of mad experiment of someone who cut out the ceiling um without really any you know he's subsequently admitted without any real architectural knowledge of what sort of state it was was going to leave the place in but it's turned into this lovely you know musical kind Mm -hmm. of configuration in terms of what it is and what it looks like now. It's very, it's very small and intimate, isn't it? You yeah. go there for a very, very personal experience. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's sort of the, yeah, the the format of it is almost like a sort of Spanish court theatre, I guess. Mm-hmm. So slips that that go over the stage and kind of quite democratic and, as you say, a space where that's perfect for the sharing of ideas mm-hmm. and intimacy and seeing things close up and and seeing sort of what happens behind the scenes as well yeah. you can often peek depending where you sit you can peek into the oh definitely yeah see what's going on so I guess your job as the artistic director is to really cater to that space and create work that that works with the space rather than kind of is either squashed by it or shrinked by it yeah there's a there's a sort of range I think of you know absolutely as you say playing into the space so some of the stuff we've done you know really goes down that route of you know something like crazy for you we did a couple of years ago which there's a bit in that piece where which is set in an old creaky old theatre in the middle of the in the middle of the desert and it was quite fun to sort of play around with the conventions of the space and you know make them specific to uh, the world of the piece Mm -hmm. and also to kind of celebrate theatre through that landscape as well Mm -hmm. but then there are other things that we do that I think really kind of push against the space as well and brilliant director called Kate Budgen directed a production of Oscar Wilde's importance being Mm -hmm. earnest for us last year which was like in a sort of white floating space so Mm -hmm. like the set kind of felt very separate to the building and that was kind of fun as well in a very different way so 
yeah, you're always kind of looking for, you know, I think you're right. You, you don't do anything that doesn't acknowledge the space in mm. some kind of way. And that's, I think, really important to the kind of individualism of the work that we make and the uniqueness of the experience for. Well, that's you. it, isn't it? It, it? it certainly stands apart and stands unique to the kind of traditional um, end on stages of the West End, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what's so weird about what the work that we've done historically here is it translates really well to touring mm. and to West End or whatever, because, yeah. well, I don't really know why. I've, like, I think about this so much, but actually, you know, I think the sort of the sense of individualism, you know, often breeds a level of creativity because you're sort of solving problems. Yeah. And so that you know in itself is is quite fun mm. and and breeds us you know a different kind of work maybe to to what's seen elsewhere but in terms of the actual physical translating from one space to another mm. the space when you take the sort of slips out of the equation the the size of the space isn't far off yeah. sort of proscenium a standard proscenium yeah. uh stage so it means that it, you know it, it costs a bit of money to mm. upscale for those kind of venues mm. but it's doable and achievable I think based on the, the the space that we've got here so it's sort of the, the best of both worlds from that I mean the, the watermill has a fantastic um reputation amongst the theatre community in terms of quality and also transferring like you say you tour all over the country but also you kind of route um, quite a number of West End shows as well. Uh, to be honest, I think the, the best work we do is is uh, work that is created here, usually without that expectation. Like yeah. quite often we get approached now to do things that, you know, people want to end up in the West End or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think that in itself is a pressure, isn't it? Oh, 100%. If, if something's small and just, just for you, then you can just make it what you want to. Yeah, and I like the idea that something can be a failure, you know, that I think it's quite important that you yeah. start a process, you know, without, you know, trying to create a hit. I don't really like that way of working. I mean, you've got you've got the dedicated audience of the locals to kind of support that up and down and experimentation as well, don't you? Yeah, we've got this amazing thing of... On the first day of uh, first first day of performances with us, we quite often have like the whole front row is booked out by mm -hmm. the same group of people who come to every first show, and a lot of the you know rest of the audience are the same. Yeah, and they literally just come up to you at the end and you know like that was really great. It wasn't as good as. <laughs> You know, they you don't get, hold like, back with the critique. No, absolutely. You know exactly where you stand. I love, I love that, that though. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, mm. Yeah, and they're so on board. And as you say, up, up for. I don't think anyone comes here to sort of see work that's playing safe. I think they come here to see work that's a bit different. And I, yeah, I love that about our audience. So let's take it to like backwards to someone who is just entering the kind of world of theatre. They hear the title artistic director um, and they go, what does that mean? What do you do? How would you explain your role? Yeah, well, my my role specifically is sort of twofold in that it's a joint artistic director and executive director role, which I think is quite common. Mm -hmm. um, so you're ultimately responsible for the running of the the theatre and the you know the the wider business, mm -hmm. and then from the artistic point of view, you know, I suppose what I always thought about of an artistic director was the person who programs the work mm -hmm. I mean there's more to it than that but I think ultimately that's what it comes down to you're the person who makes decisions in terms of you know what the work should be and you know you're sort of thinking about that in line with all sorts of things in terms of you know what what the next steps might be for the theatre and what the wider strategy for the theatre might might be but ultimately the thing that really excited me about running a theatre was oh the artistic director is the person who chooses the plays yeah. and curates a season mm. um and I was sort of fascinated by that and had always you know felt that that would be a cool thing to do 
Oh, definitely. You're kind of like in the seat of power. You decide what is the entertainment for everyone for what, a year at a time? Yeah, we, we do sort of usually sort of six month programs. But yeah, I, I kind of think in, I think in years, really, in terms mm-hmm. of the variety of work over that time, mm-hmm. we usually do about 12 shows during a year. So mm-hmm. it's a real mix of youth theatre and uh, you know what you might sort of describe as main house programming so yeah it's like a massive thing to curate work for mm-hmm. for that length of time and pull together a season and the creatives and the playwrights that you want to work with where where do you start with it because I, I know the watermill does programs a lot of Shakespeare sometimes and a lot of work with um, actor musicians as well do you just kind of start with those staples and go oh what haven't we done in a while? What's new? What's coming up? Yeah, I mean, the the, the programme is sort of uh, underpinned with uh, a few slots that you that are regularly there. So the summer musical, as you say, with with which we always do with act musicians, mm-hmm. that's become a big staple of what we do. And the summer show is sort of our biggest show traditionally yeah. of the year. And we always do a Christmas show which is you know a reinvention of a sort of classic tale as opposed to a panto so you sort of know that the latter half of the year is quite fixed in terms of knowing that those two slots are there and so you're kind of building on that with the knowledge that you know that that within that year you probably need a comedy you can't have everything as you know really really dark but also wanting to kind of push your audience to engage with new plays um perhaps uh you know one of the things I've looked at quite a lot is as well as the sort of traditional musicals uh developing new musical work Mm -hmm. and bringing work over from America and doing sort of uh, first productions of, of stuff. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, do you have your ear to the ground quite a lot then looking for new talent, new writers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've really tried to sort of build that up over, over recent years. And one of the things we do, well, we do a new play each year now, for example, which often tours to uh, rural venues as well. Mm. So playing sort of village halls and, you know, we do another uh, show each year that goes into schools for example so mm-hmm. you know there's a real opportunity there to to work with people who are really you know coming through the the ranks and uh, perhaps quite early on in in their careers and, and often giving people their sort of first break uh, so yeah that's that's a big focus for us. So I mean not only are you deciding what work to create keeping the kind of business, the finances all kind of straight and working. You're also educating the young community as well. Doing, I know you're very, very interactive within the communities, running drama classes, youth clubs, all that kind of thing. How do you how do you balance it all in your head? Yeah, I mean, I think of it as sort of one big thing in some ways, in that there's quite a lot of crossover between those those things, between, you know, the work, the outreach does which we really try to sort of embed mm-hmm. alongside the main house program and often you know work quite collaboratively in in that sense and um you know I think the thing I've always been aware of here is that because of our setting which is out of a town centre location you know in a really sort of exclusive in terms of the offer how do we get people to come and appreciate you know the the kind of respite that that this place has to offer Mm. and making sure that that is an offer for everyone as opposed to well I won't name anywhere else but some some you know arts venues which can be considered to be quite exclusive do you know what I mean there's definitely a down-to-earth feel about the watermill there just is I mean there's no pretension there's no inaccessibility it's it's just a very comfortable place to be. You know, you feel at home immediately, even if you're not a theatre buff, you know. Mm. It's, just, um, it's just one of those places. And I think that's certainly why it's been a favourite of mine for many, many years. Let's talk about um, how, how you got into theatre. Like, where did you start? What, what made you want to be a part of this world? I guess the absolute starting point for me was at school and stuff, I got 
involved in some bits and pieces which I think I think like because I was quite shy I think quite a lot of which is interesting because I talk to people a lot of people who work in theatre who often say that they were the shy one in the yeah. class and that sort of seems so contradictory yeah. but contradictory, there, there is that thing about being someone else or yeah. settling into a role and just doing it you know yeah exactly and I didn't I wasn't really comfortable in that environment and I think it was like a sort of form of escapism or something that drew me into it um and yeah I loved it and was felt really supported in that world and and enjoyed doing it and got a real buzz from it so it became a sort of continuation from that and you know people introducing me to to you know the right stuff to go and see and you know starting to get passionate about theatre in particular and mm. that medium and and going to see shows in London that yeah like that 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 sort of took that thinking on to the to the next level mm. and I suppose the, the there were two key people that had an impact on that and it's sort of amazing actually looking back now because some of that work that I was seeing quite early on mm. was you know I, I really fell in love with going to see stuff at the Donmar mm. yeah absolutely just responded to the work that uh, yeah. Michael Grandage was making there and the same with a director called Ed Hall whose work I really loved mm. and I wrote to those two directors I don't really think I wrote to anyone else but I really yeah. you know was really inspired by the work that both both those guys were doing mm. and yeah extraordinarily they both wrote back and were really supportive about me sort of being like I think this is sort of what I want to do but I don't really know and yeah. about it and both sent a note that was really encouraging mm. and it's no coincidence that I ended up working really closely with them both mm. um so there's like little little things that for you know they won't even remember but those little notes were yeah. such an inspiration to me that it was like it becomes a tangible thing from something yeah. you're very removed from yeah I, I think people sometimes really underestimate the um, importance of mentorship and just simple words of advice that can be passed on to people it can really change a trajectory yeah without without too much too much hassle even if it's a a sorry I can't help now just the response sometimes is just a little a little boost just to know that someone's kind of paying attention to whilst you're trying to figure things out you know yeah absolutely I remember the the letter that I got back from Michael Grandage was it's really embarrassing to sort of say this but it, one of the things I'd written a note going you know I saw blah 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 I thought it was amazing you know I think this is something I want to do you've really inspired me as a director and then at the end it was just like oh and um I don't know if I just thought this is what you did with famous people but it was like if you've got a signed photograph I'd really love it and it's a really lovely note which I'm sure I've still got somewhere but at the end he was like I don't have a signed photo but um <laughs> you know sorry and, uh, you know I was like well of course but I, I, that's I think that's really I, I've never I've never raised that with him but I think that's um yeah I think that's quite funny now. I love that I feel like at some point you should hand him a signed photo of yourself saying yeah 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 absolutely. <laughs> this is how you do it <laughs> yeah exactly I've got my little stack by my desk ready to send no one ever asks I love that I love that so so you you badgered them you wore them down mm. and did did you shadow them did you join them as an assistant yeah both of them very kindly offered me a job as, a, as an assistant at a point mm. at which I didn't have that much experience really so I got mm. I got the uh, I did a year at the Donmar with Michael mm. uh, they had and I think still have a resident assistant program so I yeah. applied for that and managed to get it I think the first time I applied which was amazing and yeah I learned a lot through working with him and then Ed I ended up doing a bit of shadowing I don't even think I, you know it was like a paid thing to start with mm. but you know he realized that I was really passionate about the, mm. the work of the, com the company he was working with and so sort of developed a, uh, a relationship with him and with them mm. that that meant you know in the end I worked with them for about six years mm. so 
um, really got to sort of know his working style and practices and, mm -hmm. and learn a huge amount about specifically about Shakespeare with working working with him. What what were you kind of absorbing from him? Were you taking in details about how to work with peers, with cast members? Um, or, or were you thinking, like developing your own style as you were going on, thinking, oh, I might do that slightly differently? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's so interesting for me about those two people as mentors in that mm. what I responded to with Michael's work was his absolute precision like I don't think there is another director on the planet who is like as precise um and detailed as he is and I I you know he, everything choreographed to a T yeah exactly like everything was there for a reason and I I found that you know incredibly exciting mm -hmm. because you know especially in the Donmar a bit like we were saying with the watermill space, the intimacy of it was yeah, everything, or the you know the the detail of of the work he was creating, mm -hmm. and um, so I loved that. I really responded to that even before I knew sort of anything about directing. And mm -hmm. then with Ed's work, the thing I was responding to um, was the sort of anarchy that he created on stage and the wildness of it, and I found that totally thrilling. And so I was sort of thinking, you know, in terms of wanting to direct stuff that um, I would probably use elements of, of both, you know, mm -hmm. and, and learn learn about both of those processes in terms of, the, in terms of how they did it and probably take, you know, bits and pieces and, and try and find my own sort of style, really. So, I, you know, I guess with Ed, because it was Shakespeare as well, like he was so um, brilliant with kind of text work and mm. so you know I think the thing with Shakespeare is that so many people are just scared of it and I think to mm. spend six years getting to see how he was working on text and working with actors and what to really focus on yeah. gave a level of confidence in terms of then starting to do that yourself as well mm. I think a lot of sort of process stuff from mm. from both of them was was useful so what kind of style would you say you have as a director, like matching those two ideas? Like how, how would you approach a text? The way I like to work is um, very ensemble focused. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it does combine those two approaches in terms of, you know, I like the actor to feel in control of what they're doing and contributing to the sort of ideas behind it. And I like there to be you know I, I think to be in the rehearsal room you sort of want to feel like you're doing something different you're, you're taking something in a new direction or whatever mm. it might be and I've absolutely probably the thing I've sort of most enjoyed doing in in the work I've made is working with active musicians and music being a sort of integral part of oh it's wonderful yeah it's yeah possible. that being a, a really important part of the process has always been quite key to me and the thing I love about working with active musicians is there's almost a sort of a subconscious element to what you're creating and, a, and an ability to work therefore in a very collaborative way because they maybe understand the rhythms of a piece or well, I guess I guess you have to really trust them and trust in their abilities with the, the music especially yeah to, to kind of fit it all together as it as it comes yeah yeah absolutely but but yeah I mean in terms of the work on the text I think the thing I'm most interested in is like you know making sure we're not doing classical plays in a way that we've learned to expect them to be done yeah and turning them on their heads and you know absolutely getting to the heart of mm -hmm. what the writing's about but maybe approaching them in a in a you know in a more dynamic way where we possibly can that's that's my passion do you have a favorite Shakespeare it does change quite a lot but I find the one I'll keep on coming back to is Twelfth Night because oh, it's so perfectly balanced the production at the National a couple of years ago Tamsin Greg oh yeah astonishing right I didn't see that oh worth it I just think it's a brilliant yeah and, and music is so so integral to it as well and mm -hmm. I think um it takes it to another another plane do you ever have those moments when you're working with 
with things like Shakespeare, with, with the old greats, where you panic? I definitely have done. I mean, I think, I think what I've learned and what I've been really lucky to sort of be able to do here is to build a company of actors who you work with where it becomes, you know, a sort of collaborative and shared experience. And, mm-hmm. and I find that takes the pressure off quite a lot, even when you're, you know, potentially pushing quite hard to go down a certain avenue. I, th- I find that you know psychologically takes a bit of pressure off but I think what I have sometimes experienced um, pre-working in that way is like actors come to Shakespeare with a very different set of expectations and very different processes in terms of how they work and and to stand up as a director and have the confidence to be like that's useful that isn't is really difficult because you feel like it's Shakespeare and you've got to have a certain reverence about how you approach it. The less that you do that, I think, the more interesting the work is. Mm. And so you've got to understand it and you've got to have a sort of baseline knowledge of what you're working with and and how the text needs to be spoken. But you also need to create an atmosphere whereby you've got actors who sort of naturally are able to do that and aren't going to be worrying about it too much because I think that in itself is sort of destructive so it's about having the right people in the room that will go with things and absolutely challenge things but challenge things on the right basis I think that's the the, I mean it's my favorite thing about working in theatre is really just trusting people to explore things and support each other and not and not kind of be afraid to improvise a little bit now and then what qualities would you say are essential to to being a director? For me, the most important thing, and I think this sort of links the two jobs really in terms of running a building and being a theatre director, both of which sort of come back to people management and working with people and collaborating with people. An ability to to listen and take on ideas I think is the most important Mm. thing you know to be adaptable and to like working with people I think that's the most important thing about this sort of working in this industry because you know if that isn't if that isn't your sort of starting point I think it probably yeah becomes not very much fun quite quickly but I also think again with both jobs I think an ability to have what I always call a killer instinct so like theatre is nothing without people who are prepared to take risks Mm. and it's the point at which you take that leap and it's about getting people on board with you in order to be taking that leap together I think that's the biggest biggest sort of skill that you know definitely I don't get right all the time but I think I think that's what I look out for people you do have to be brave, I think, mm. 100%. Yeah, and it's like, so you absorb, 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 take different points, you know, a view on, on board, but there comes a point where you go, right, we're doing it, you know, and this is this is it. You know, being prepared to fail, I think, is really key from that point of view. Was that Was that a big learning curve for you? I think so. I definitely think early on, you know, in productions, you're trying to think but you know partly because of the way that that you know the the industry is structured Mm. you're trying to make decisions that you think people will be happy with yeah and you're trying to satisfy you know the people who were in a position of of power Mm. and that as we know the best directors in this country are the people who you know have got themselves into a position where they don't have to worry too much about that so it's definitely something you have to bear in mind but I don't think it necessarily means creating the best work yeah we're just mentioning how how the industry is is structured what's your view on regional versus um city theatre I was just thinking about that in relation to you know the, the 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 danger that there is around London being the sort of epicenter of work which for those of us not sort of brought up in London is kind of crazy isn't it Um, and I think the place where you know most people learn to fall in love uh, with theatre or 
you know the opposite in many cases as well is in is in their in their local regional theater so it's so important from that point of view and i've i've always wanted to run a regional as opposed to a theater in london because of that relationship that i feel that you're able to build with audiences and i think that's really yeah that's that's not so you can't do it in some theaters in london but i think the sort of immediacy of response that we were talking about earlier is yeah. really is really specific to to this world if anything i mean i'm quite optimistic that recent events and covid might actually push theater out a little bit more it will definitely make people appreciate what they've got on their doorsteps as well and you know one of the things that i think is quite sad in terms of regional theater is the amount of producing theatres that are left mm. you know it's it's shrunk massively yeah. uh, in recent years and I think to have places producing independent work is what cultivates opportunities you know particularly for, for younger creatives and younger mm. actors and people sort of coming through so I think we post this we have to fight really hard to keep hold of that within mm. our industry. No, hundred percent. It's there's. A, I think there's a very real opportunity for for a generation of talent to be lost. Mm. So it's all about keeping them activated. You know, it's going. You know, we can still make it work. You're still here. There's still these opportunities. These you just got to like pinpoint them, and go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a lot of talk, isn't there, around the importance of theatre. You know, because during lockdowns, what people have ended up doing is what watching a lot of Netflix or yeah, live theatre in some cases. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm a bit like, in a way, I've got a bit bored of that argument because I'm like, you know, regional theatre is important in itself. You know, yeah. it's like an end in itself. It's yeah. not about like, you know, I get that that's quite a good argument for politicians to sort of try and get their heads around yeah um but but I also think like not to underestimate the 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 importance of the work that's happening in communities and and work being produced on mm -hmm. stages across the country is absolutely huge and what a huge step mm -hmm. back it could be if we if we lost that output mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. I mean, I unfortunately couldn't um, couldn't make the, the COVID shows that you were running last year because I was in London. But I know several people who did go to the shows, the socially distant shows that you um, curated and managed to put on. And they just said it was a breath of relief, really, a breath of fresh air. Um, and they were so happy that you managed to make it happen. Can I ask a little bit how it affected you as as an artistic director as a regional theatre, overnight things changed. What was so extraordinary was it made me realise how uh, much it's in our DNA mm -hmm. as people working in, um, in theatre to keep the show running or mm -hmm. to keep the theatre open. Like, I don't think before this happened, I could conceive of a situation whereby theatres across the nation would basically be shut down for mm. you know yeah at, at least an entire year like that just wasn't in anyone's no you no, know and I know that's true of other businesses as well but there is this kind of attitude of the show must go on mm. and we'll do everything to like it is because it's more than a business isn't it it's like yeah. your whole yeah. force goes into it yeah 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 exactly and we've done like crazy crazy stuff to keep mm. shows running you know like I've been on to you know play parts and Christmas shows you know did you did you have to step out from behind the scenes I did I did yeah like literally you know stepping on stage from my house because I'm the only person left on site so <laughs> how was that bloody awful <laughs> um absolutely ruined my Christmas so that oh, yeah, that had happened two out of the last three Christmases and the reason I did it was because literally you know the kids are there in the mm. auditorium and you're like the choice is I go on and make an idiot of myself or 
we you sent them home crying <laughs> yeah and ruined their Christmas so I was like well you know the show must go on you've got to do what you've got to do oh yeah and all of that stuff that sort of pressure you kind of build up to be like we've got to do the show we've got to do the show because we're a small theater and we can't afford to lose the income and you know all those things that you sort of think about and then we're presented with a situation like this where you know yes there's been a bit of help but still who would have ever expected to be in a position where you have to get your head around shutting down the theatre, sending the actors home, mm. you know, and, and all the other things we know in terms of the sort of pressures around yeah. around that. And how, how did the socially distanced productions go? Were they, did you have time to rehearse or was it just like, here's the script, go? <laughs> yeah, well, there wasn't even a script actually. So the, the first thing we did was Pound of the Baskervilles, which mm. we decided rather than doing an existing version that we wanted to use sort of elements of of what was happening in the world mm. to make it specific to now. So the cast devised a version in a week. So I think we got clearance that stuff could happen outdoors. Mm-hmm. And then it took us a week to plan it and hire actors and build a stage and stuff. Mm. And then they had a week to throw it together and... And it was brilliant. It was it was really good. Um, and we were like, why do we bother doing four weeks rehearsals? <laughs> so that was crazy. And then, uh, but yeah, all the out, outdoor stuff went down an absolute storm. Because, I mean, talk about working under pressure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was, it was, it was crazy, but it was awesome. Just to you know, you go back to that thing of like putting on plays as a teenager with no yeah you know, resources or support mm-hmm. or you know making the posters together and all that that kind of camaraderie yeah. of let's just I, make a piece of work is great I, I guess it must give you some confidence as well in terms of like moving forward that you mm-hmm. know if things are gonna go wrong you you know you can deal with it as, as a collective yeah absolutely yeah 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 it definitely makes you appreciate the skills that you have within the team because we Mm. didn't have any money to Mm. you know hire loads and loads of uh external people as much as we were like trying to you know give work to freelancers you've got to go back to the the absolute sort of baseline of what you can do within the team and Mm. and I definitely came out of it going bloody hell you know they're all so talented in terms of the speed at which they manage to turn it around and the knowledge they have of the building to be able to do that is really particular Mm. so just I mean to touch on finance I won't pry too much yeah we've had um as you say a huge amount of support from from people locally Mm. uh who just you know are supporting us because they love the theatre mm. and that's great. We haven't really had much help from the government apart from obviously the furlough scheme, which has mm. been useful, but also at times frustrating because you want to get, you want to be working to get people back to work. And the whole imperative of that scheme mm. is keeping people away from work. So that, that's been a real sort of balancing act for us and, you know, big decisions in terms of the risks that you can afford to take mm. on, on that basis. And but also trying to keep people involved, you know, we've got a small team anyway, so you, yeah. you can't really do it without them. So that that's been a balancing act. And but I think for you know, in terms of my thinking at the moment, actually going into this year is sort of harder. Like last year was a was very much a kind of reaction to the situation. Yeah. And when you're actually planning uh, for something that you know is sort of financially unsustainable. Mm-hmm that's that in itself is more difficult because none of us have any idea really how things are going to pan out yeah and you know that you've already pulled in quite a lot of favors and asked quite a lot of your local supporters Mm. and you know people yeah potentially start to get a bit tired of that so Mm. yeah so I think that I I think we're not you know no theaters are sort of through this yet I think we've Mm. got a long way to go but you know we've got a huge amount of support to help us get through the other side of this so so speaking for I guess regional theatres countrywide I guess the message is get bums and seats as soon as possible like don't be scared to come back to the theatres when they open 
Well, you know, the the what we found was that people were really ready to return mm -hmm. as and when it was safe to do so. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's I think for theatres what maybe hasn't been fully sort of understood in terms of the structure of the financial support is how to as you say how how to support venues reopening mm -hmm. as opposed to you know yes it's useful to support venues when they're closed to to an extent mm -hmm. but when there is you know uh, when we get to a point where there's it's safe enough to be able to come out of this you know it's, it should be about not hibernating and mm -hmm. and supporting people to think creatively and think outside the box and mm -hmm. do things in a different way but support um as soon as they possibly can we're actually actively working on shows pre-production mm -hmm. currently yeah so that's brilliant to hear can, can I ask what you're working on or is that top secret? It's top secret because of um, rights stuff. But what we're looking at at the moment is a kind of mix of work that we can do indoors with social distancing mm -hmm. and outdoor, more outdoor stuff, basically. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to just keep, yeah, keep some, some options up in the air. Oh, brilliant. And you're all working with each other via Zoom and that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. How are you finding that? It's all right. I mean, like, there's elements that you kind of go, oh, I'd have usually have gone to London for that meeting and it would have taken at least half a day. Exactly, you're like, whew. Yeah, and you're like, we, to we totally nailed that in a 30-minute yeah. Zoom. This is great. Now we can do other things. But then there's definitely other situations where it's more difficult as you know isn't it it's um we're all kind of getting our heads around yeah I'm just imagine I'm just imagining um I guess a real life and en enactment of staged did you watch that over lockdown oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah is it similar yeah 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 hopefully slightly less competitive but yeah there's definitely there's definitely something about that trying to check in with people is more difficult isn't it you sort of yeah it's the little things that you kind of miss um yeah. And I think it was all like quite to start with. It was all new and all different, wasn't it? So you know, exciting, <laughs> kind, of, kind of exciting. And I think now everyone's like, "How long is this gonna go on for?" Everyone's pretty done now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, difficult question, considering we're not quite sure what's going to happen this year. But is there anything you're kind of excited for, or trends you're kind of excited to watch and see what develops i do think the whole thing of engaging people's creativity is having to be thought about in a different way both for buildings but also for bringing in freelancers to be like what can we do here you know like here's an impossible set of circumstances how can we still make work you know i quite like that i yeah. think that's again that sort of goes back to the heart of why we all do what we do I think and and that's a good thing and I think that's great in some ways especially for bigger organizations to be like how can you streamline your processes to do what's important which is creating work and and putting freelancers at the center of that and putting audiences absolutely at the the heart of the experience mm. they're the things I've sort of most enjoyed seeing you know a sense of sort of realignment with those things and going okay this this needs to be our focus now mm. I mean I've chatted to a number of um, people within the industry over the last year and one thing that's really come out is clarity I think a lot of people have actually shaken off the kind of day-to-day -day elements and actually sat down and talked with each other about issues within the industry and the great things about the industry and they've just really like say streamlined what actually needs to happen and get rid of all the the fuss and bother mm. which somehow attaches itself to the theatre industry I think sometimes. Yeah absolutely there's a um Ian McKellen came and did a mm. uh, his one-man show here a couple of yeah. years ago and um he <laughs> remember him saying to me that one theatre that he'd been to that he was going through the list of jobs on the you know on the staff board as he got in 
and he was like don't understand what that job is get you know get rid of them like focus on making the work right <laughs> and I think that's so so interesting in, the, in terms of the way that organizations have grown and you know where the sort of import has been put and like no one would have wished this and no one would certainly have wished any of the redundancies that are currently taking place mm. but it, it does make you go as an organization mm. you know let's really focus in here mm. what is most important and we've really sort of increased the the kind of resources we're putting towards mm. artist development for example and making that a really sort of crucial uh, part of our thinking going forward because you're like well for those people you know particularly people who've recently graduated mm. like it must be so hard to sort of see the positivity at the moment yeah and, you know know that that people are rooting for you to come out the other side of it and and I totally understand why drama colleges have to keep on like taking on students in terms of their financial model but there's a bit of me that's like shouldn't we just pause like and focus on the people who have got in and are graduating into a profession that is on pause it's really tricky I mean I know I know a lot of my friends actually graduated recently or were going through drama school mid-covid and to be honest they felt very let down by multiple organizations and I think that's because they just didn't know what to do they didn't know how to because they had such a set model of what learning how to be an actor is and it all relies on that final showcase doesn't it and if that's not possible they lose out and I don't know I think you're right um encouraging them and and finding new opportunities to kind of support them and maybe do showcases or that kind of thing would be crucial because I don't know the worst thing that can happen I think to a creative person is to be disheartened mm. can you tell me about what um, a bit about your artistic development programs yeah so we've really sort of developed the the associate creative associate program that we have which is focused on working with younger creatives so we've expanded that a lot this this year but we've also been setting up a lot of online workshops with graduates so you know particularly in the relationship for instance and that's as much as anything about sort of brushing up on um uh, skills and processes and you know just sort of reminding people you know tips on things that we look out for in auditions and audition mm -hmm. technique and self-tapes and adapting to use of technology and all those sort of things that are you know particularly kind of relevant at the moment yeah um so yeah just trying to sort of offer opportunities that people can sort of check in on and have some some build some sort of relationship with a with a venue as well I think is the main things we've we've been focusing on no I think I think that's brilliant and certainly having that kind of early years support in starting your career is going to be crucial um like say with with your mentors you had six really good years of like on-site training <laughs> yeah exactly and what you know for me when I started directing stuff here um the thing I loved about it was that it was a sort of opportunity to step away from the kind of noise of the industry in many ways and just concentrate on making work because yeah. that's the nature of of what this place is and mm -hmm. so I've always been really keen to try and share that with as many people as possible you know in terms of what you kind of learn about yourself when you're working in that kind of environment I think that's really special and obviously we've had to adapt to that because we can't do that in the same way at the moment but it's I think it is you know for all of us about finding ways of like you know staying fresh keeping you know confident and getting ourselves into a place whereby we're ready to go when we can I think I think a um unexpected gift of this for a lot of freelancers has been to take a break you know mm not have to constantly hustle you know have that little pressure taken off their shoulders just for a moment no matter how good or bad it may be it's it's a slight break <laughs> as a freelancer 
you, you know, you tend to have sort of several ideas that you're pursuing at any one time. And you put a lot of pressure on yourself, don't you, to, you know, kind of make sure that they're always moving forward. Yeah. And definitely, you know, people I've spoken to have got to a point where they're like, well, they can't at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to kind of take a step back from them and go, is that the right thing? You know, and if you're still really passionate about them a year later, then that's probably a really good indication yeah. um, that they're the most important thing that you need to be kind of committing to so I think that's that's quite healthy in many ways no definitely definitely one last question for you mm. what are the good bad and mad things about your job as, as I sort of already said this place is pretty mad <laughs> like I don't think there's probably a job like it full stop as I think I explained, I live on site at the watermill and people, companies come and stay here while they're in rehearsals and mm -hmm. stuff. So everything about my job is not normal. Like, you know, you, the, the office that I work in is in my house. You get all sorts of people sort of turning up, you know, sometimes at really inappropriate times. So when I was starting the job, we were doing a sort of handover with my predecessor and someone knocked at the door and uh, she went and answered it. And this guy was like, he, no, he didn't say hello or anything. He was, he just said to her, can I flush your toilet? And she just went like, as if it was completely normal. She just went, yeah, sure. And then wandered back in the office and like started carrying on talking about what we were talking about. And I was like, sorry, what's just happened? You just let a strange man into your house. Who wants to flush your toilet? I never really got to the bottom of what that was about, and That's and now I'm in, yeah, quite. And now I'm in a situation where I quite often get a man come around and flush my toilet, which I presume is something to do with the sewage system. I mean, it, it's got to be otherwise. Um, I would put a lock on that door. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's best not to speculate. Just let him in and let him flush his toilet if that's what he wants to do. <laughs> exactly. So there's just sort of weird stuff that happens all the time. Like we're always woken up in the night with you know the fire alarm going off or you know someone jumping in the river or whatever Duck. it might be the what sorry the ducks or the geese yeah there's always some mad thing with ducks someone came into the office once and was like just to let you know that uh, a duck has got into the shower room and is sat out of the shower at the moment so we had to go and try and coax the duck out of the shower i love that so, <laughs> awesome thing. i mean like yeah they, i'll never work as anywhere that you know just has all of those sort of weird things happen but it's fun it gives you a sense of perspective mm. you know you never get too um stressed in a way about things because you're like well you know I'm kind of out of, out of control of many things in this environment yeah that's pretty mad that is wonderful thank you so much Paul you're an absolute superstar absolute pleasure thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Bad Mad podcast. Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it. You can find us on Instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.